This reading is presented with permission from Scholastic. Hey friends, Miss Stripe here. At the end of chapter eight, we realize that Lexi's making money while Otto is falling further and further behind. In this episode, Let's see if Otto's determination to get his dog really kicks in and he finally lands on a plan to make some money instead of losing more and more. Chapter 9, Wednesday, March 7th through Thursday, March 8th. Money saved, minus $6.10. My stomach twisted into shoelace knots in school the next day, the kind of knot mom usually got out for me because she had long nails. Lexi's after-school tutoring signs plastered the hallway walls. I didn't even know the school allowed signs like those. Wasn't that against the law or something? Commerce and school should never mix, just like firecrackers and cauliflower. Don't ask. But maybe it was illegal. Maybe Lexi would be tossed in jail. Maybe I could hide the jail key and she would be trapped behind bars forever. Lexi couldn't earn money in prison, except for making license plates, and I'm pretty sure that gig didn't pay well at all. Lexi's signs were smothered with so much glitter and bright neon paint you couldn't ignore them even if you wanted to, and believe me, I wanted to. She painted pictures of books and graduation caps and pencils, and even Albert Einstein. It was a pretty good picture of him. She'd gotten the hair just right. That's the hard part. I stared at the blood-curdling boards, seething. When did she possibly have time to create them between tutoring and going to school? As I stewed, Miss Gurney, the assistant principal, brushed past me. She reminded me of a giraffe with a long neck, always craning forward past her feet, casting shadows on the floor. Class was just about to start, but this was my chance to turn the tables on Lexi. I jumped in front of the assistant principal. Hi! Miss Gurney skidded to a halt. Yes? Hello down there. She stretched her long neck to look down at me. Didn't see you. Now I do. I'm in a bit of a rush. She tried sidestepping me, but I sidestepped too. Between Mom and Miss Gurney, I was getting pretty good at sidestepping. Do you think those signs are a good idea? I pointed to Lexi's glitter-covered abominations. Can't advertise in school. It's against the law. Many students need studying help. I think it's a wonderful that Lexi is being so industrious. Miss Gurney trilled. And I don't think it's against the law. Now, excuse me. I didn't budge. I wasn't going to let Miss Gurney go that easily. It's dangerous. What if someone was reading a sign and walked into the wall? They could break their nose. The school could be sued. Do you want to be sued by kids with broken noses? I appreciate the concern, but I don't think that's likely. I think the signs are pretty. Lexi did a wonderful job on them. She's so talented. Now I really must go. But Miss Gurney wasn't leaving, not yet. 
Not when every sign inched Lexi closer to a cat and a life of misery for me. People could be allergic to glitter, I offered. No one is allergic to glitter. The posters could fall off the wall and poke someone in the eye. They're not going to hurt someone. Well, they could. Unlikely. Well, what if a poster fell and someone slipped on it? That would be dangerous. I really don't think that's a problem. Thomas, right? My name's Otto. I'm Lexi's brother. Mrs. Gurney's face lit up like a street lamp. I didn't know Lexi had a brother. Lucky you. Now get to class. I have to run. Excuse me, Otto. Lucky me. Assistant Principal Gurney raced around me while I gagged. Finally, after the nausea went away, I stood alone in the empty hallway. The bell rang. Class started. But I stayed put. Those posters, all those posters, I had to do something about them. I started at one with a picture of an owl wearing exceptionally large glasses. Who wants to be smart? You do. Lexi's after-school tutoring. But what it really said was, who knows Otto will never get a dog? You do. So there. I grabbed the glistening board with its shining orange glitter, ripped it off the wall, and I tore it in half. That would show her. I stood in the hallway, holding the two poster halves, staring at them. I pictured Mom's eyes glaring at me as she shook her head and said, What have you done? I began to sweat. The hall was completely noiseless except for my rapidly beating heart. I shouldn't have felt bad. This was war. Lexi had it coming to her for all her teasing and know-it-allness. Why did I feel horrible then? Why did I stand in that empty hallway, gripping that torn sign, my face turning red and my stomach tied in even more complicated shoelace knots than before, knots that no one could get out ever, even with extra long fingernails? I put the poster back onto the wall, carefully pressing down its still sticky tape, but you couldn't miss the big rip in the middle. I couldn't fix that. I dragged myself into class, my shoulders sagging. My teacher barked at me to take my seat and next time to get to class on time, and he gave me a warning. Two warnings and you get detention. I barely heard him through the loud, yelping moan of my guilt swirling inside my head. I had to ignore it. Couldn't get soft. Not now. They say all is fair in love and war, and this battle had nothing to do with love. After school, I pedaled my bike out of the neighborhood, past the apartment complex, by the park, over the bridge to Grand River Avenue with its lineup of small stores. I hoped to find a help-wanted sign. Maybe someone needed a magician or wanted someone to run a kissing booth. Okay, definitely not a kissing booth. I walked my bike up and down the sidewalk and then down and up. I saw a sign asking for a busboy on a restaurant door, but the owner said I had to be 21 years or older. I spoke in a really deep voice and told him I was 22 years old, but he told me to go away. It's hard to pretend you're 22 when you're walking a bike and you're about eight years away from shaving. Before I left, I pointed out the sign was for a bus boy, not a bus man, and it was false advertising and that he could go to jail. But I would look the other way if he gave me the job. He slammed the door on me. Lastly, I walked to Schnod's grocery store. That was the largest store on the street. It was the only store with its own parking lot, too. 
I locked my bike outside, strode in, and asked to speak to the manager. As I waited, I had looked at my reflection in the mirror. I had a bit of cheese cracker stuck in my teeth, so I picked it out. It's important to make a good impression when you're interviewing for a job. That's why I wore my jeans without grass stains on the knee and a clean t-shirt. You can never overdress for a job interview. I hadn't been in this store for about a year, ever since what mom called the canned goods catastrophe. Schnads had these giant pyramid displays of canned goods at the end of some of the aisles. I always wondered what would happen if I pulled out a can from the very bottom row. The answer? Nothing good happens. If you have the urge to pull a bottom can from a giant store pyramid, don't. You've been warned. After that, Mom said I wasn't going grocery shopping with her for the rest of my natural-born life. Which raised the question, is there such a thing as an unnatural-born life, like if you're a vampire? I hoped so, because there were a whole bunch of things I couldn't do for the rest of my natural-born life. Here's a partial list I've made. Use the oven. You already know about that one. Throw snowballs from the roof of our house. Go on the roof of our house when there is snow on it, or ever. Carry four glasses of milk to the table at one time. Use Lexi's blanket as an umbrella. Shake all the cans of soda in the refrigerator, or any can in the refrigerator. Mr. Schnod himself came out to talk to me. He wore a butcher's apron with blood smeared on it. If you want to be a serial killer, you should work in the meat department because no one would wonder why you walked around with blood splattered all over you. I just hoped Mr. Snod wouldn't recognize me from the canned goods catastrophe. You look familiar, said Mr. Snod. Do I know you? I don't think so, (laughs) I said and looking away. I'm looking for a job. I'm a really good worker, I squawked. I can do magic tricks. I can even saw someone in half, maybe. Why would I need someone to do magic tricks, he asked. I can do other things, too, I quickly added. We don't need help, sorry. Please, I begged. You can't persuade someone to do something. You should always try begging. I'll do anything. I think my guardian angel watched over me at that moment. It was about time, too, because if I had a guardian angel, I think he spent most of his days sleeping and watching cartoons. As soon as I told Mr. Schnott I would do anything, a lady shuffled by us holding a grocery bag. She was old, wrinkly, and blue hair old. Her back creaked. In a foot race, a snail would beat her by a few laps. She hobbled to the door. It must have taken her a minute to go about 10 feet. On second thought, you can be a bag boy, said Mr. Schnod. Carry bags to the car for people who need help. Really? I asked, excited. I'd be great at that. I carry things all the time. It was true, too. I carried books to school and my coat to the mudroom, when I remembered, and glasses of milk to the table, as long as there were less than four. I was practically born for this job. How much does it pay? In business, you need to be skilled in the art of negotiation. You don't just accept the first offer. Let's say Mr. Schnott offered to pay me $5 an hour. I'd tell him I wouldn't do it for less than $40 an hour. He'd offer me 10 bucks an hour. I'd go down to 30 an hour and so on. I can't pay you, he said, but you can work for tips. I'll take it, I boomed. You think anyone will tip me $500? I doubt it. 
So it wasn't my dream job, but at least it was a way to make some money. In a nanosecond, I was by the side of that old blue-haired lady shuffling slowly across the floor. Can I give you a hand with that man? I asked. Old ladies love it when kids call them ma'am. It shows proper upbringing. Yes, thank you, she replied. And just like that, I had my first gig at the grocery store. Parking lots have handicapped spaces so people who don't have legs can park close to the front door. They should have old person spots too. Old Lady Blue Hair had parked in the very last spot in the very last row. Her bag was heavy too. She'd bought a gallon of milk and a half a watermelon. By the time I got to her car, my arms throbbed and I panted. She sat in the front seat and I popped open the trunk and I put the bag inside. Then I hurried over to her, cleared my throat, and held out my hand. Yes, young man, she asked through the open window. Um, I don't get paid, I muttered. Felt greedy, holding out my hand, waiting for money, but you can't be too shy about this sort of thing. After all, she had a demand and I had supplied it. Supply and demand. Now I demanded to get paid. The lady nodded and turned away to start a car. I cleared my throat. throat) Yes, she asked again. Um, I accept tips. Oh, silly me. And she reached in a small change purse next to her and she gave me a nickel. Luckily, other people weren't as cheap. You might think there would be a standard bag boy tipping amount. Nope. One man gave me $5, but most people gave me $1 or some loose change. Some people asked me how much they should tip, and I always said, whatever you can afford, but $500 would be great. They usually frowned and just gave me a couple quarters. But money adds up fast, though. I must have helped 40 people to their cars in the two and a half hours I worked. It was tiring, but when I was done, my pocket practically exploded with cash. This was the job for me. I'll be back at the same time tomorrow, I said to Mr. Schnod. He squinted, scrunched his eyebrows. You still look very familiar. I just have that sort of face, I blurted, and I hurried off. The next day started off even better. I got pretty good at figuring out who needed help. Old people needed assistance, as did moms with kids, people with crutches, and that sort of thing. Generally, the more miserable people looked, the more they needed me, and the more they paid. One guy with an arm in a sling and an eye patch gave me seven bucks, but a young guy in a tracksuit handed me 11 cents. I kept hoping someone would get wheeled in, wearing a complete body cast. I'd be rich. But people in full body cast don't grocery shop, I guess. Still, at this rate, I'd have enough money in a couple of weeks. I felt good. I felt dog-owning rich. I'm sure Lexi wasn't making this sort of money, even with all her tutoring work. Plus, she had to do everyone's homework. You couldn't pay me enough to do extra homework. As I carried Mrs. Prince's bag across the parking lot, I practically heard my new dog's joyful bark and smelled his thick cotton soft fur. Here, not named Fluffernutter, I said in my head, throwing an imaginary stick and having my imaginary dog fetch it. Good boy. Good boy. My imaginary dog loved me more than anything in the world, and he hated Lexi because my imaginary dog had excellent taste in people. We rolled around in an imaginary meadow laughing, 
while dog not named Fluffernutter yapped in delight and then ran off to chase an imaginary butterfly. Lost in thought, I put the bag in the backseat of the car. I walked over to the driver's side window and held out my hand. Young man, what are you doing? Miss Prince looked thin and weak, and it took her about five minutes to walk to her car, but you wouldn't know it from her shrill voice. It cut through the parking lot like a burning cookie triggering a smoke alarm. She stood six cars away in front of an empty trunk, tapping her foot. I scratched my head, confused. I wandered a few steps towards where she stood, and then the car behind me, a two-door convertible, honked and began backing out of its spot. Where are my groceries? demanded Miss Prince, hands on hips, her voice shattering the air between us like a baseball through a bedroom window. By the time I realized I had put the bags in the wrong car, it was too late. Come back, I screamed, waving at the convertible, chasing after it. The car was already merging into traffic on Grand River Avenue. The old and shrill-voiced Miss Prince stood by her trunk waiting. Where are my groceries? She screeched. Driving away, I stuttered, pointing to the convertible a block away and getting farther in the distance. She yelled at me, and I bet they could hear her shouting on the moon. Astronauts probably covered their ears. She used words and phrases like irresponsible, well, I never, and you should be fired. And those were just the ones I could repeat without getting in trouble. After a good minute, Mr. Schnod hurried outside. He wore his white apron streaked with blood. I'm sure Miss Prince wished it was my blood spattered on him. I explained it was an honest mistake. I put the groceries in the wrong car. It was sort of funny if you thought about it right. But I guess Miss Prince didn't think it was funny one little bit. She said she would never come back that I was a disgrace to bag boys all over the world, that unless I was fired on the spot, she would visit the store. She would visit the store every day for the rest of her natural born life and tell everyone what a terrible place it was. How about if you were a vampire, I asked? Then that would be an unnatural born life, right? Miss Prince just stared at me. I didn't repeat the question. Mr. Snod made me pay for the groceries out of my own pocket, which wiped out all the money I earned that day. And you're fired, he added. But you're not paying me anything, I pointed out. So you can't technically fire me, can you? Apparently he could. As I walked away, Mr. Schnod shouted after me, Now I know who you are. You're that kid who ruined my canned fruit display last year. Good riddance. Mr. Snod had a pretty good memory after all. So just like that, I needed a new job again. It wasn't my fault after all. It was the convertible's fault. And Lexi, just because she's Lexi, and everything is her fault. But I needed to start earning money. If not, dog not named Fluffernutter would never bark while chasing a butterfly imaginary or otherwise. I thought about cat named Fluffernutter meowing in a meadow chasing a butterfly of her own. I shuddered at the horror of it. Chapter 10, Friday, March 9th, money saved, $45.06. 
Lexi's sign still hung from the school halls, taunting me. Their glitter reflected off the fluorescent ceiling lights like a million sparkling diamond specks of mockery. I stared at the sign featuring a worm with glasses. Be a bookworm, the sign jeered. I wanted to squash it, although I hated to admit the worm was pretty cute. This stinks, I growled to Malcolm as we stared at the revolting tutoring sign. I should tutor kids for money. Malcolm laughed. Supply and demand. No one's demanding your tutoring, and you couldn't supply it anyway. Sure I could. Who would pay you to tutor? Lots of people, I huffed. Name one. Well, okay. I couldn't name anybody. She can't win. I'll never hear the end of it. She'll brag about Fluffernutter the rest of our lives. You'll try your best, and Malcolm didn't get it. I cut him off. No, trying isn't good enough. I have to win. I have to do more than win. I have to demolish her. Don't you understand? This is payback time for all the terrible things she's done. What? mumbled Malcolm. I sensed skepticism in his voice. Like being born before me and being smart. Two months ago, mom said, why can't you get good grades like your sister? Well, maybe I don't want good grades. Malcolm blinked. Why wouldn't you want good grades? That's not the point, I raged. Don't you see? There's a lifetime of wrongs here. Grades are just the tip of the iceberg. When Miss I'm more perfect than you, I have to put up with her and and, and I just have to show her who's boss. Malcolm shook his head. I thought this was about getting a dog. Well, that too. As I tromped into language arts class, I overheard Miss Corgi talking to Noah Grump. Noah was a grade ahead of me. He was tall and played basketball. He didn't seem like the smartest guy in school, though. He always walked around with his mouth open. It's hard to look intelligent if you walk around with your mouth open. Plus, flies can swarm inside or drool can dribble down your chin. It's hard to look smart with drool on you, too. You should call Lexi for help, suggested Miss Corky. Her phone number is on those terrific signs in the hallway. Thanks a bunch, Noah beamed, wiping his chin. Lexi's a great student, Miss Corky added. She'll help you a lot. I was sick of hearing about Miss Perfect student everywhere I went. I grabbed Noah's arm. She can't help, I blabbered. She's too busy. She closed her business. She broke her arm. She's very sick and can't get out of bed. Oh, I just saw her in the hallway five minutes ago, said Noah. Well, her illness was very sudden, I explained. I'm not sure if Noah was convinced, but much worse, my own teachers were recommending Lexi. Miss Corgi, who had the last name of a dog, for heaven's sakes, was helping my sister get a cat. It was hard enough living up to little Miss can't do anything wrong all day. But now this, I sat down in my seat with an angry plop. The conversation repeated itself in my head all day, too. You should call Lexi for help. Lexi's a great student. Cheer up, said Malcolm at lunchtime. You're not the one facing a life with fluff or nutter, I moaned, removing the lettuce from my turkey sandwich. Mom insists on adding lettuce to my sandwich every day, and every day I remove it. What if Lexi came down with a terrible disease, I added. No one will hire her then. Like what? scoffed Malcolm. 
annoying sisteritis. Malcolm rolled his eyes. It's all about supply and demand, remember? You just have to figure out what you can supply. Malcolm pointed to the lettuce lying on the table. You're like that, unwanted, no demand. A worn out, dried up piece of wilting lettuce, a senseless sprig of parsley. If this is your idea of a pep talk, you're not very good at it. Malcolm just shrugged. But you're right, I'm parsley, I whimpered. That's exactly what I am. I can't tutor. I can't carry grocery bags. I can't throw a telethon. I ripped a bite of off my sandwich, pretending it was Lexi's head. I chewed extra hard, but I didn't feel better. I just felt worthless. You're good at stuff, said Malcolm. I stared at him and scratched my chin. Then I scratched some more. I'm drawing a blank here. You're good at soccer. Was good, I moaned. You're just rusty. You're a good friend. I rolled my eyes. Great. You want to pay me $500? And you're a pretty good writer, said Malcolm, ignoring my comment. You got an A on that social studies report about igloos last month. I got a B, and you wrote half of it. I thought everyone got an A on that social studies report. As long as it was five pages, you got an A. I only wrote four pages. There just wasn't that much to say about igloos. I ripped off another chunk of turkey sandwich and munched unhappily. You're going to win. You're going to earn that money, said Malcolm. Then how? I waited for Malcolm to answer me. He didn't. Back at home, I felt as depressed as a leaky bike tire. Mom was at work. Lexi was tutoring in the kitchen. I needed air. I grabbed my bike and rode downtown. Maybe I'd find a new help wanted sign. I'd do anything at this point, even a job as a horseradish taster. I found two help wanted signs, but I didn't have my own car, so I couldn't be a pizza delivery guy, and I wasn't going to step foot inside a beauty salon in case someone from school saw me. There was no way I would ever live that down. I even looked into a couple of trash cans for returnable bottles, but I found nothing. I dragged myself into the Upecha pet store. They didn't have a help wanted sign out front, but I asked the manager if he had any odd jobs. He didn't. I told him that if he paid me $500 right then and there, I would work for free for the rest of my natural born life. He still wasn't interested. That seemed like a pretty good offer to me, but I didn't leave. I trudged past the bird cages and the fish supplies, past the lizards and the cat toys, all the way to the back where they kept the dogs. They sat in stacked cages behind a big glass wall in a small enclosed carpeted room. If you asked, you could play with a dog for a few minutes before you bought one. There were eight cages, five with dogs and three empty ones. That meant three newly adopted dogs somewhere, three families happily paid, fetched, and rolled around meadows that weren't imaginary. But not me. All the dogs here were puppies, a boxer, a dachshund, a border collie, and two golden retrievers. I focused on the golden retrievers. They reminded me of younger alfalfas with their light brown hair. That just made me sadder. I wondered how Alfalfa was doing. Was he happy? Had he made any doggy friends? Did any know, anyone know which ear he'd like scratched best? And how long he liked his tummy rubbed? Probably not. 
Poor guy. One of those retrievers in the cages jumped around, tongue out, excited. Just looking at it made you smile. It would be impossible to feel sad with a dog like that jumping around you all day. The other retriever sat in its cage way in the back. This dog didn't move. He kept his head buried in his paws. But I could see its eyes peeking out and looking at me. This was a sneaky fellow. Can I see that one, please? I asked. His name is Thumper, said the pet store girl, a teenager with a pierced lip and a pierced eyebrow and orange streaks in her hair. She unlocked the cage. He doesn't really do much, she explained. He's kind of a dud. I sat on the ground and she handed Thumper to me. He didn't move, but he snuck peaks between his flaps of fur. His sister Marta is a lot more fun, said Miss Orangehair, gesturing to the other golden retriever still bouncing around. Bumper's not a dud, I said. He's just sad. I stroked his golden fur and scratched his right ear. He seemed to like that because he closed his eyes and squirmed into my lap a little deeper. I continued rubbing and scratching. You'd be sad, too, if your sister got the attention all day. She probably gets straight A's in school. And he always feels like he's second best, right, boy? Thumper wiggled a little bit tighter into my legs. You'd be a lot happier if your teacher stopped complaining, comparing you to your sister all the time. And if your sister caught a disease and couldn't tutor anyone, nothing too horrible, just one that would keep her in bed for a few weeks. I bet your sister wants a cat too, right? Thumper yawned. I'm not sure if I made him feel better, but he made me feel better. There are a lot of great kind of dogs. But dogs that sat quietly and made you feel better were probably the best kind of all. You know what you need, boy? I said to Thumper, staring into his dark eyes, which never seemed to blink. You just need to figure out what you're good at, that's all. Then you could show everyone that you're better than your sister at something. You're sort of weird, kid, said the pet store worker. I bet she's a cat lover, I whispered into Thumper's ear. She has orange hair. So really, who's the weird one? Thumper nodded, I'm sure of it. I sat with Thumper for a while until the pet store girl told me that if I wasn't buying Thumper, she needed to put him away. I gave Thumper a goodbye scratch and handed him to Miss Orange Hair. But I felt better. The scent of a dog remained on my hands even after I got home. I loved that wonderful rugged puppy smell. If I could sell dog smell, I'd be so rich. I could buy a million dogs, but I didn't need a million dogs. I just needed one. I needed a dog playing peekaboo under his paws shyly, pretending not to look at me as he wiggled in my lap. I felt low all night, especially because Lexi sat in the kitchen hour after hour tutoring. When Noah Grump entered the house, I groaned. It was just another reminder of my teachers working against me. I sat on the couch trying to think of ideas, but my mind was empty. All my ideas were locked in a cage like a pet store dog. I stared at my notebook. The pages remained empty. When Noah finally left, Lex Lexi sat down on the couch next to me. I shot her two evil eyes. I could tutor you on how to make money, she giggled. You know how to make money, I snapped. It's all about supply and demand. I'm in a lot of demand. Yeah, everybody wants to hire worthless baby brothers. Not a baby, I grumbled. This isn't over. Thumper understands. He won't let Marta beat him, and I won't let you. 
Baby brother, I have no idea what you're even talking about. Lexi leaned back on the cushions. Where do you think we should put Fluffernutter's litter box? She pointed to the corner of the room. Over there? I felt my face turning red with anger. I don't hear any purring in this house yet. Then you must not be listening. She hear that? I stiffened. Had she bought a cat already? Yes, I can practically hear Fluffernutter's soft, mellow meowing as she licks her milk from her bowl. So she didn't have a cat. Not yet. Relieved but annoyed, I jumped up. Yeah, yeah, I stammered. Well, I'll lick you. Gross. You're not licking me. I mean, in our money battle, I wouldn't actually lick you, I admitted. That's disgusting. You're disgusting. You are. You are. You are a disgusting, flea-bitten, cat-craving, furball freak, I shouted. Where was Malcolm when I finally came up with a great insult? It didn't even faze Lexi, though. She laughed. Even if I were a catnip-craving freak, I also happen to be crushing you at earning money. So you know what that makes you? I shrugged. Losing. Lexi was laughing so hard she had to hold her stomach. I marched upstairs, but her laughter lingered in my ears for so long I eventually needed to use a Q-tip to get it out.